I listen to a radio news program in which uh, they begin by, usually there's two hosts and one will say, you know, I'm this person from this city and this other person will say I'm from this city. So it's usually like, I am, you know, Bill Smith from New York and then George Miller from, it's usually Culver City, California. And you know, I, I get a national news program coming from New York City, sort of expect that, right? But when I hear Culver City, California, this picture is what comes to my mind. I mean, that's what I think of, you know? And I'm like, that's not where national news usually originates. The truth is, if you saw a picture of Culver City, really it looks more like this picture. Okay, I mean, it sits just south of LAX Airport. It's right in the heart of the Los Angeles metropolitan area. But the sound of it, to me, makes it sound like, you know, it's Podunkville. And so having a national news program doesn't make much sense. But we do that sometimes, don't we? We think a lot of times that important people, important things, will come from important places. Or maybe from important families. That that's how things normally work. That places like New York City or Los Angeles produce some important people, but the truth is the conventional wisdom is really wrong about that. That so often God can use humble people from humble places, from humble families to do incredible things. And for the next few weeks as we go into the Christmas season, this year a little bit late, we're going to be in the midst of this series that I'm calling Down to Earth. And we're thinking about how God, in this story of Jesus' birth that we find in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, uses ordinary people, really everyday kind of people, in an amazing, extraordinary story. Sometimes in ways that we might not expect. Now, I think a lot of times what we would expect is that God would always use like the most righteous, the most holy people, the most holy family traditions to do the most important things in the Bible. Okay? We assume that God's only going to use the most righteous people in any land to do the most righteous work. And again, sometimes that conventional wisdom is wrong. We might say that there are people who, who are disqualified because of their past. We might look at ourselves sometimes and say, I wonder if God could really use me. I wonder if God could do anything important to me. I mean, look at, look at my past. Look at what I've done. Is there any way that God could take me and do something important with what everybody around me knows about what I've done and where I've been? Or if I tried to do something that really mattered, maybe people would whisper around me, do you know what his dad was like? Do you know what his mom was like? Do you know what his grandfather was involved with? You know, I, this story just came to me. When we were in Tennessee just a few weeks ago, we were talking about a really well-respected man in the community. He had been sort of a lay preacher. And I'd always heard about his dad being a dentist and and then somebody told me, well, you know how the grandpa sent the dad and the rest of the kids to school? Bootlegging. I thought, okay, that's a story I never heard while we live there, okay? We do tell those stories. And maybe we wonder what people know about our stories. Maybe we wonder what people think about who we are and what we're like and where we come from. 
And that keeps us from getting involved in what God may be doing. Well, I want us to think about that as we go through this story. Today we begin this journey together, and we're going to begin at the very start of Matthew's Gospel. The first few words of the whole New Testament. And Matthew begins this story of Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, really, in a way that we probably wouldn't begin. He begins by talking about Jesus' genealogy. And if the truth is told, lots of us, if we open and say, I'm going to read through the New Testament, we start with Matthew chapter 1 and go, well, okay, I'll get through this, right? There's a lot of names. I don't know who most of these people are. It doesn't seem that important. I'll get through it and get on to the interesting stuff. But if we read through this genealogy, and maybe look at some of the people that are here, what we find is that God does some amazing things through some really interesting people and some interesting stories. Now, the ancient people of Israel thought it was important where you came from. They thought your family history really did matter, and Matthew thinks this too. But what Matthew does with this story is almost shocking in some ways because he leaves out some people. Now, we know that because some of Jesus' ancestors were kings of Judah, kings of Israel, and they don't all appear in Jesus' Uh, genealogy here. So we know Matthew strategically left out people because he couldn't include everyone through all those generations and, and sort of noted some of the important ones. But then there are some people we begin to wonder, why did he include them? It begins this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Now you read through that and you go, okay, well, that's, you know, I mean, it begins with Abraham. We sort of know who that is. That's a pretty important character in the history of the Old Testament, the history of Scripture itself. I mean, this is a person that God spoke into, made promises to, made a covenant with, a key player, his son Isaac. Well, that's another key player in this story. And then Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, another important player in Scripture. We have a lot told of these three men in the book of Genesis and all through the, the beginning of the Bible. But then we get into some people that we may not know as well. Jacob, the father of Judah, where we get the word Jew. He is the father of the kings of Israel, father of a grandfather, great-grandfather. He was the ancestor of people like David and Solomon. And yet here in the story, Matthew reminds us that Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you read that story that's found in Genesis, what you'll find is that it might have been ripped from the real housewives of ancient Israel, okay? This is, this is a story, okay? I mean, what we find is that, that Jacob's son Judah marries and has some sons, and his oldest son gets married to a woman named Tamar, and the son dies, and so, as was their tradition, she married his next son down to have sons in the oldest son's name to continue the family traditions, and, and that son dies. And Judah decides, I've had enough of this black widow, okay? She's not marrying any more of my sons, because I can see a pattern here. And he sort of sends her off to 
the town of Timnah. And she disappears from the story. But then after Judah's wife dies, he decides to make a journey. And so he goes on this journey and part of it passes through this town of Timnah. And Tamar hears that he's coming through and she dresses as a prostitute and waits on him. And when he sees her, well, he spends the night with her. And when it's all over, well, she expected to be paid. Okay, and so he promises her a goat, and he, she says, well, how do I know you're going to return with that? And he gives her his staff and his seal, which were the two things that would most closely, personally identify him to be retrieved when the goat arrives. He goes back home, forgets it. He sends his servant back to this town. The servant brings the goat to pay the prostitute Tamar. Judah doesn't know who it is. She's disguised herself. And he goes around town with this goat asking for the prostitute to pay for his master's night out and, and finally realizes she's nowhere to be found and he is embarrassing himself and his master asking about all this and finally gives up. Well, the truth is, Tamar had done this secretly and she became pregnant because of that night and had two boys, Zerah and Perez. And then she sends word, and she has the staff and the seal, which personally identify Judah. And so these two sons are his. And the younger one is in the genealogy of Jesus. Not exactly what we would expect in Jesus' family tree, is it? But that's not enough. It keeps going, verses 5 and 6. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Jo- David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, there's some stories in that one, too, right? We see that Jesus is related to David, the greatest king of Israel. The king that everyone wanted to be like. But that's not all. We're also told here, and this is the only place that we find this in Scripture, that in that genealogy is a man named Boaz. We know of Boaz because of the story of Ruth. We know him. But what we didn't know was that his mother was Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And when Joshua sent two spies into the city of Jericho to to look it over, to see what it was like, to prepare for battle, the person who kept those two spies was Rahab. And she's saved because she helps the people of Israel. And she ends up being a mother to kings, being in the genealogy of Jesus. A woman who posed as a prostitute to sleep with her father-in-law, Rahab the prostitute who saves these people, all in the genealogy of Jesus. And then there at the end of verse 6, Solomon, who's the son of the woman who used to be Uriah's wife. You know that story, David and Bathsheba. David sends the army off to battle. He notices this woman bathing on the roof, spends the night with her. She becomes pregnant. He's got a problem. He tries to find all these ways so that Uriah will think it's his child. He fails and finally has Uriah killed in battle on purpose. Adultery and murder, and she becomes 
ancestor to Jesus. It's not what we expect in the genealogy of Jesus. And what I notice in this is that isn't it amazing that God can use a completely messed up family in this amazing story of Jesus' birth? God can use this family that had all kinds of people who, and they were making wrong decisions left and right, both men and women. It is a mess. Most of what we got in our family tree pales with comparison to all that. And yet, God could use this family to bring Jesus into the world. And what I learned from that is this. That God's plan is greater than your past. You know, it may be that you look in your life and what you've done and who you've been and you look back at your family and you say, there's just no way. It's too messed up. Okay? My family's too messed up. You don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. You don't know the addiction that's there. You don't know the, you don't know the abuse that's there. You don't know what my grandfather was like. You don't know what my kids are like. You don't know what I'm like. And God says to all of us, my plan is greater than your past. I can do things with you and with who you are and with where you are than you know. Who we've been, who we're related to, none of that disqualifies us from serving Jesus Christ in the future. And we shouldn't let it. Are there consequences for sin? Yeah, there absolutely are. And some people in the room are very aware of all that. And yet, even with those consequences, we are not disqualified from serving this God who loved us enough to arrange this whole crazy story to center in on Jesus being born and living among us and dying on a cross. God's plan is greater than your past. Maybe you've heard of a woman named Ursula Burns. She was the chairman and CEO of Xerox from 2009 to 2016. She was listed as number 22 on Fortune's list of most powerful women in the world. She was the first African-American woman CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Pretty impressive. It's really impressive when you find out that her parents were immigrants from Panama, that she grew up in housing projects in New York City. And then she pursued education, first at an all-girls Catholic school and then at NYU Polytechnic. And then she began at Xerox as an intern in the 80s and worked her way up to be CEO. You know, if you had seen Ursula in the late 60s with her immigrant parents living in the projects, my guess is most of us probably wouldn't have thought there was a super bright future for her. Most of us would not have predicted that she was going to do great things. We would have been wrong. And maybe we're guilty of looking at our own lives and thinking, I'm not going to do anything important. Look at who I am, where I've been, what I've done, who I'm related to. And God says to us in the midst of all that, my plan is greater 
than your past. Just buckle up and let me show you. And so instead of thinking about all that stuff that might disqualify you, instead think about the power of God at work in your life and how you can be part of what God is doing and how you can allow him to work. Because God has a plan for you and for me and for his church and for our families and for our friends if we just let him work. And forget the fact that we're all sinners, because we are. We know that. But God's got a plan for that, too. Let's pray together. God, we know we're sinners. We know we don't deserve for you to do anything for us. We don't deserve forgiveness or grace. We don't deserve for you to take us and do anything with us. And yet you've chosen to do it. God, we're thankful for that. And we ask that you would continue to use us. God, show us your plan and how we can be part of your plan. And how we can do great things in the name of Jesus. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.